Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, your host. My co-host, Mark Danis, is not able to be with me. We're in the midst of a state uh, shutdown, voluntary, um, due to the pandemic of the coronavirus. And so Mark is doing his thing and I'm sheltering in my home. But I asked Mark if he would please write some words to encourage our Carmelite community here in Dayton. And they were beautiful words. And so um, I asked his permission, could I read his letter to us, to all of you? And so if you'll forgive me for using my voice instead of hearing it in his voice, I'm going to read you what Mark Dinas wrote to all of us who are the Secular Order of Discast Carmelites. Uh, he directed it to our community in particular, but I think it applies to all of us. And of course, we're not speaking officially on behalf of the Order. We are members of the Order that are sharing our gift of the Carmelite spirituality. And before I read the letter, let's just pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come by way, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your dearly beloved spouse. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And here is the letter that Mark wrote. My brothers and sisters in Carmel, it is with some reluctance that I write this reflection. I know all of us have been receiving many messages over the past few days, most of them informative, instructive, and all written with good intentions. But at the same time, we can quickly become overwhelmed with so much communication and risk losing the deeper meaning of our situation. This is my humble attempt to provide some clarity on what is happening and how we, as Carmelites, are to respond. From 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. End of quote. We Carmelites should not be surprised by anything that is happening in our society right now. This is indeed an ordeal, but it is ultimately for our benefit, and it is precisely what we contemplatives have been preparing for throughout our entire period of formation. Think about what is happening around us. All of our distractions and entertainments, from sports to movies to musicals and even large family gatherings, have all been taken away from us. Even some basic services we have come to rely on are now at risk of being removed. We have been told to stay home as much as possible, do not gather in large crowds, but rather limit our contact with other human persons. This can be discouraging, but it is a genuine call for everyone to seek a deeper encounter with the Lord in the secret interior of our hearts. And from Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. At the same time, many people are upset that we have lost our opportunity to worship in the ways we have become accustomed to. I recognize, for many of us, the absence of the communal celebration of the Eucharist and our receipt of it can be very disconcerting. But we must recognize our Lord is not withdrawing from us. He is calling all of us to a more personal, one-on-one -on -one encounter with Him. Our bishops have told us that in the absence of attending Mass, we need to practice spiritual communions. And this means encountering Christ in a more spiritual way. From John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, but an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him 
must worship in spirit and truth. The very hour we have been preparing for has arrived. Jesus is now calling all of us to move beyond our comfortable and convenient ways of encountering him. This hour is designed to reveal to each of us, on a very personal level, what resides in the deep interior of our own heart. How will we respond? What is God saying to us? There is no time for sermons or lengthy dissertations on theology. We must each learn to listen in solitude, silence, and serenity to the interior voice speaking to our heart. Jesus is very close right now, even more than we know. As St. Augustine tells us from Confessions 3, 6, 11, you are more inward to me than my most inward part and higher than my highest. So how does scripture counsel us to respond in a time like this? We hear from Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. My brothers and sisters in Carmel, this is what the Lord has been preparing us for over the past many years of our walk in Carmel and while we have been seated at the feet of our Blessed Mother. This is the hour of contemplatives, the time when we must dwell in the peace the Lord promised would be ours. And we learn from John chapter 14 verse 24, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. But we cannot assume this peace will be ours if we do not now seek the Lord with all the skills he has provided us. Yes, I say skills because this is what we have been developing in Carmel. The skills of solitude, silence, and serenity. These are the arts of the contemplative. Solitude means that the four passions of joy, hope, sorrow, and fear must be singularly, solitarily focused on God. We find fear in offending Him, sorrow in realizing when we may have done so, hope only in His promise of mercy, and joy in knowing we are in His eternal care. Silence is the complete silence of the heart so that we can hear deep in our interior. This is not a process of meditating on words. Those practices can be distorted by our human experience. This is about silencing everything and allowing the Holy Spirit room to pray within us. And from Romans 8:26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Serenity means we must be at peace if we are going to be able to hear what the Lord has to say to us. He cannot speak to an agitated heart any more than we can see the beauty of the objects in a stream when the mud from the bottom has been agitated. It should come as no surprise that this peace is found in the humble acceptance that we are not in control of anything that is happening, and we have ample evidence of that reality now. Our leaders in the fields of politics, economics, health, and even the military, despite all their best intentions, are not in control of the current situation. They can only hope to manage the impact. The Lord is in control, and we must now learn to listen to Him in order to know what we personally should do. This is not about the virus. This is about our relationship with him. He wants to lead each of us now on a very deliberate path, one designed just for us. But we have to allow room for the Holy Spirit to work in us and to guide us. Seek him where he may be found, in the interior of your heart. Be at peace.
for he is very near. So that is the letter that Mark Danis, my co-host, wrote to encourage our Secular Order of Discast Carmelite members, and I'm happy to share that with all of you. So let us now keep each other in prayer as we stand before the face of the living God. And we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Peace, my friend.
point being that those who find themselves in these difficult situations have an additional source that they can draw on, the, the only source, and those who want to participate in the ministry will have an additional means to find strength uh, and uh, uh, camaraderie even with those who are working in this ministry day in and day out. Now there's another critical component, Michael, that you have a vision for, uh, that somebody's going to be responsible for making happen, uh, and that is to make uh, the Blessed Sacrament available 24 by 7 uh, in the form of adoration. Uh, we could go over a number of uh, admonitions from, um, from our church about uh, making uh, that uh, sort of prayer opportunity available. There's no need to. It's clear uh, the Holy Fathers, uh, the last three, of course, have been uh, adamant supporters of uh, the availability of adoration. But talk to us a little bit about your vision for um, something in the Dayton area that quite frankly does not exist today. Not, not uh, uh, anywhere that I'm familiar with within 25 miles of us. Well, and I would say that you know, e even someone who's not familiar with our faith tradition or who might not recognize the real presence of the Eucharist um, sees great value in the, the spiritual calm that comes from just being still and accompanying um, each other and, and as we would invite them to focus on our Lord um, in, in this way and as we witness to them um, how much peace it brings us to, to do that, um, that that's, a, that's a, a foot in the door, is it not? Uh, for them to uh, enter the, the, the richness of contemplation in the real presence. And, and as you alluded to, the, the, the power of that is, is, is but a glimpse to someone who has not experienced that before, who might witness it for the first time. But certainly if we were to keep that up, um, then uh, it, it, it will be noticed. And it will be noticed by the guests who are here themselves 24-7 uh, for the time that they need to be here. And, and also, I think quite powerfully... Um, introduce a broader segment of our Catholic community to the ministry that we have here and um, the importance of the invitation to them to participate in the in the way that they would like to um, uh, beginning with adoration and perhaps moving on to, to even more involvement with our ministries. Yeah and it's uh... Uh, there are a couple of initiatives Michael and I just briefly uh, chatted about on the break that we have in mind for getting people, especially in the conferences, and uh, again, for those who are not familiar with the structure, you can uh, understand by conferences, either parishes or, uh, as we mentioned, a university. Um, uh, there's a particular immigrant conference that, that uh, helps uh, that community. Uh, but uh, getting those conferences more uh, ingrained, uh, integrated into the prayer part of the spirituality of the society for this simple reason. Uh, those of us who've been in ministry of any kind for some number of years have come to recognize we are not the centerpiece of the work. We are not uh, the, uh, the ones who are making all of this happen. It is the Holy Spirit who's bringing about the change that we see, bringing about the provision um, that we rely on and that uh, the people that we serve rely on. And so we want to put the focus back on the center and where it needs to reside. And that's where uh, the Holy Spirit rests and where the Holy Spirit is both guiding, directing, and making possible everything that we do. Um, I would also say that even for those who may not have an immediate opportunity, though we hope ultimately many will, certainly we're talking to the Miami Valley now, the Dayton area, uh, we hope that many people will be interested in supporting 24 by 7. I know I can speak uh, very um, uh, deliberately to uh, this issue of a desire for many, many years on the part of many in this area to have availability for 24 by 7 adoration. Here I would say it's even more powerful. We're not just giving the opportunity for uh, adoration and, and the opportunity to come and spend time and worship our Lord. But we're doing so in the context of a ministry that even our Lord said uh, was arguably among the most important things that we could do, and that's serving the poor in our society. The poor we will always have with us. These treasures of the church will be with us until the Lord returns. And now we're being invited through this uh, uh, 
um, initiative of 24 by 7 adoration uh, to serve that community and worship our Lord uh, all in the same time. So we're very excited about it. Uh, certainly those in the Dayton area will begin to hear more about it. I've already reached out to a number of people uh, to at least begin uh, to uh, uh, make that available. And we hope if there are people in other parts of the country that are hearing this message today, whether they're involved in the St. Vincent de Paul Society or not, that you might be gaining some interest in seeking out that society in your area and thinking too about how you begin to engender a deeper appreciation for the spirituality of the society. And that of course, Michael, stems all the way back to our, uh, our patron, St. Vincent himself, St. Vincent de Paul. And so I want to talk a little bit about his spirituality. Now, we should just say briefly, in fact, if you don't mind, I'll let you do the just the brief uh, you know, elevator speech history, because many people associate the society's founding itself with St. Vincent. Of course, that's not the case. It was founded uh, quite a number of years later, 200 some odd years later, in fact. Uh, but I'll let you do that brief history before we go into St. Vincent's. Well, and isn't it interesting that here we are talking about the founding of the society nearly 200 years ago, and when it was founded, it was uh, with reference to a, a saint another 200 years before that. So yeah. uh, it is, you know, initially I think of um, how the, the stories of saints throughout the ages have inspired uh, generations to uh, continue those paths of holiness in a very particular way. So um, basically, um, Blessed Frederick Ozanam is, is credited as being the leader um, of a group of uh, young men who were college students uh, who, with the help of their mentor, Emmanuel Bailly, um, who, who grouped together to form what became the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And essentially what happened was um, in, their, in their studies, they were challenged by um, folks who said, well, you, you Catholics talk a good game about serving the poor, but what are you really doing to serve the poor? And so um, they took that to heart, and uh, they approached um, so, so some particular Daughters of Charity, who again are part of the, the Vincentian family that trace their history back to St. Vincent himself, uh, to learn how to accompany the poor, learn how to, to accompany individuals in need. And so, um, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the society was formed as a, as a Catholic lay apostolate and um, has continued in that um, mode. Um, we, we also have um, uh, governance rules in effect that essentially keep clergy from leadership roles uh, in order for us to maintain that, that lay character and, and how we operate. And Ozanam himself, being a lay person, he was actually a lawyer schooling at the Sorbonne. Um, around 1833, if I have right. my dates correct, right. is, is their actual founding. Um, and you know, you, you reminded me of an important point that I wanted to uh, include in the ministries, because I don't think we touched on it specifically, and that's the home visit, which is really the centerpiece of the ministry, isn't it? It's Absolutely. not just sort of, hey, you, the poor, come to us and we'll provision. Talk, talk about that part of it, because that's so, so key to both St. Vincent's own spirituality, but to Ozanam's founding of the, uh, of the society. Well, and even our secular friends um, who, who we work with to this day recognize that apart from the religious character of our work, uh, they note that we're the only ones who do home visits. So um, we, we are not what we call a service counter type of human service. Um, we are a ministry. We're a two-by-two uh, ministry where we focus on going to people where they are, quite literally in their homes. And it's been that way since the beginning. That's what the Daughters of Charity uh, taught Frederick and his companions um, on, on how to be present to people, how to minister to them, how to be in authentic relationship with them. Um, and I think this is another aspect that um, gets skipped over quite a bit when we talk about poverty. Um, one, one piece of poverty that we all want is spiritual poverty. And uh, we practice that, we attain that um, in, in large measure through um, our intentional relationships um, that reach out to, again, create authentic um, two-way real relationships, not dispensing our excesses to people that we perceive have material needs, but to enter into a true uh, relationship with them 
that has all the friction and tension of any of our relationships. And the idea that, um, that we are engaging people uh, from whom uh, there is objectively no ulterior motive for us to, to gain for ourselves other than our own salvation and theirs. Well, you bring up an important point. I'm actually going to skip past the virtues that St. Vincent, we may come back to them, but because you leapt to that, I want to, I want to capitalize on that and um, just point out that the, um, one of the central uh, themes, of course, is poverty. And for St. Vincent, there were four critical vows uh, that he asked his original, uh, society, not societies, but his uh, uh, the, the missions and the uh, daughters of the um, uh, daughters of charity. He asked them uh, to adopt these vows. One of them was, in fact, poverty. A and he said, um, if I can find his own words here, uh, essentially he would not uh, want any one of these foundations uh, to be formed without themselves adopting an evangelical evangelization of the poor founded on poverty that we practice ourselves. And so uh, to the degree that we understand this idea of, uh, of spiritual poverty, uh, St. Vincent was key on his own um, uh, members practicing that idea of poverty. And it may have been material poverty. In many ways, of course, it was for those who were ordained. But uh, even from a spiritual standpoint, he, it, it wasn't, as you said, you know, we, we give of our excess and, and that which we have left. We can think about the woman in the gospel, of course, that Christ uh, points out to giving the, the, the last of her uh, resources. But um, here, St. Vincent was key on the members themselves practicing what it is they were uh, seeking to serve, and that's uh, the poor and, and therefore practicing poverty. It's a key component of it. Well, I want to drop back to the virtues because uh, these are also key to understanding the spirituality. And again, as Michael and I have been discussing, it's the spirituality um, that we want to make sure that we, I, I wouldn't say uh, as much recapture, but invigorate uh, and make sure that everybody who's participating in the ministry and those who are served by the ministry are drawing the fruit of the spirituality that is inherent in the uh, St. Vincent de Paul Society. So the first of those virtues, Michael, is simplicity. You want to speak about simplicity a little bit in the way that St. Vincent uh, uh, communicated it? Well, you know, simplicity is something that um, um, we, we struggle with in, in so much of our society today. I, I, don't, I, I confess I don't know what it was like um, for him in, in his day, but, but I can say that... Um, you know, one of the things that helps us in our own spiritual growth is when we witness people who come to us at the shelters, for example, who, who really have nothing other than the clothes on their back and um, who have um, may, maybe some very complicated um, personal circumstances. But many of them that I've encountered have a certain um, simple, kind way where they have um, uh, embraced um, a love that is palpable. And um, that is something that is very attractive to many of the people who come uh, to work here, is that um, the, the, not everyone who comes here is in misery. Sometimes there's a quiet joy about them, and it is in their simplicity. It is in their letting go. It is in their not being attached to... Uh, too many worldly things, and um, you know, many of them um, frustrate us perhaps because we sense that they don't have a, a spirit of personal enterprise uh, or personal responsibility. Um, but simplicity is something that's in our face every day. Now, we we of course are are yearning for that virtue in uh, in a sea of complicated, uh, uh, unsimple uh, ways of the world and what we're surrounded with. But um, I'd have to say that uh, one of the things that, that uh, makes me excited about this ministry every day is that I can walk a hundred feet from my office and encounter someone who has the simple joy about them, even given all the circumstances that surround their lives. Um, and that's a powerful witness. 
You know, one of the things that I was thinking about with regard to simplicity, and I, I read some of the material from St. Vincent's history on him and how he implemented and, and chose the particular virtues he wanted to focus on. But the modern term that comes to mind is subsidiarity. This idea that let's put the responsibility for getting something done at the lowest, most effective level within the organization. I see that in the way you run the organization, Michael. You know, all of us come in contact with the poor. I saw you counseling a young man the other day, actually a volunteer in one of the facilities that we were touring. So you yourself get directly involved in the ministry. It's not like you sit in a corner office and direct yeah. other active people's activities, but you, and, and it seems to be uh, a pervasive throughout the organization, People want to be involved in the ministry. They want, to, they want to touch the hands of the poor. They want to actually be at that lowest level. I don't mean lowest in, in, in a demeaning way, but at the level that comes in contact with the poor themselves. And right. I think that's also part of that. Well, and, and plus how we position ourselves um, in that we are, we are known in the community as the absolute backstop. We are the ones who affirm uh, every individual's humanity. Um, when, when all their other networks fail, when their, when their family network fails, their employment fails, their shelter fails, their food security fails, um, you know, we, we are known to be the ones that anyone can come to. We don't have barriers. We don't have the complications of, uh, you know, the um, conditions that are placed on, um, on, on loving others. That's what we're here for. And, and again, we're, we're known throughout the community for that. Well, one other um, virtue I just want to touch on quickly, the, the uh, interim ones, we would all recognize humility, um, uh, meekness, of course, in this environment. That's a, a virtue we would rely on uh, every day. But also, interestingly, zeal. Zeal for the work. Say, say just a few words about that, if you would. Yeah, that, gosh, zeal is an interesting thing because, of course, um, uh, it's used a couple of ways, isn't it? It's it, well, on the one hand, it's it's uh, used to describe passion. On the other hand, it's used to describe zealots <laughs> that that, uh, that that chase down their own designs on on folks. But but I, you know, I I have to say that um, there's an energy around our ministry that really uh, is the fuel that really powers us to engage every day. And I see it in, in our volunteers and our employees, and, and I can only describe it as something that um, it, it is really the fire of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, there, there's no uh, objective reason why we should be uh, super excited about um, uh, being in the middle of misery, right? But uh, there, there is this very palpable energy that anyone feels when they come in to our work, um, uh, where they notice that that we we're just energized, and and my own explanation for it is the Holy Spirit. It has a way of drawing you in. I've witnessed uh, just in my short tenure here, uh, people that, and I don't mean to scare anybody away from the ministry, but I think it's representative of what you just said. People who willingly work fifty and sixty hours a week, you know, to support this ministry, um, and they don't do it as drudgery. You know, I asked one woman, in fact. Uh, uh, regarding the length of stay she had in one particular day, and she looked at me and said, well, uh, I said something about going home. She said, well, the people in the shelter don't get to go home. So, you know, it was, it was a passion, and it was palpable, and uh, it was clear that it came from the heart. So very, very uh, encouraging, and, and uh, it's really something to, to hold, to, to, to behold. And you do see the face of Christ in these people, and it, it makes you want to uh, be transformed and help transform their lives. You know, closing in uh, our Carmelite fashion, I just want to quote the, the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, arguably the, uh, the most popular saint of the 20th century, certainly a well-known Carmelite. She said, there is no joy like that known by the truly poor in spirit. And if I can, Michael, I want to thank you very much for taking this time to be in conversation with us today. It's been a revelation, I'm sure, to many of our listeners. I do want to encourage and invite everybody who's listening. Uh, if you know of a St. Vincent de Paul Society in your area, certainly if you're in the Dayton area, um, you know, take an opportunity to look a little deeper into us and see if there isn't an opportunity for you to get involved, to volunteer in some way. And what I want to promise you is that you'll capture the zeal that Michael talked about and you will find yourself transformed by participation in the ministry itself 
and you will see the face of Christ in those you serve. And in that spirit, let us pray for the poor and the needy in our society. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, you came to give honor to the least, those forgotten, overlooked, and misjudged. You came to give first place to the last, those left behind, misunderstood and undervalued. You came to give a warm welcome to the lost, those who are orphaned, abandoned, and destitute. Help us to be your ears to listen to their cries. Help us to be your voice speaking out of love and acceptance. Help us to be your feet walking beside those in need. Help us to be your hands to clothe, feed, and shelter them. You came for the least, the lost, and the last of this world. Lord, hear our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home until we're with you again next week. God bless.